Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The text that I'll be reading this morning is found in the first 20 verses, and it's going to be a little bit different than the ESV that you're normally used to, and it's something that perhaps you're accustomed to me reading out of the King James Version, the classic text of the Christmas story that most of us, at least those my age, know so crystal clear from our upbringing and, if nothing else, from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them of the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Father, I pray that you would bless this moment that we have together this morning to reflect upon what we know to be the Christmas story, to sing praises to the Christmas child, to celebrate the birth of a Savior as a family family here at First Baptist, of those who gather on a regular basis, all the guests and visitors that are here, extended family to the families here and the ministry. And I pray that during this season of celebration, that indeed it would be a family Christmas celebration, that there were the things that we could learn and, and take to our children, and that somehow beyond simply a celebration once a year, It can become so meaningful that it has eternal implications. So I just pray that you'd encourage us as I share from the Scriptures, remind of the truth, and and encourage our families to engage in this season 
in a most meaningful way with their children and their children's children, not just in the context of local church ministry, but in their homes. And as they gather with friends and loved ones, may the celebration of the season surround our Savior Jesus Christ, for whom we are so and eternally grateful for. It may be a blessed time of year, an encouraging time of year, a reminder at this time of year that the only hope and the only promise and the only light in the darkness and increasing darkness of our age is in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, revealed to us in a manger. Bless us as we spend this, this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to reflect upon just a number of passages of Scripture this morning, and we won't be necessarily expositing this text, but I'd like to speak to the families, parents and grandparents and children and children's children, in the context of a family Christmas celebration, and encourage you that there are some things that you can do. In fact, I believe there are things that you need to do at this particular time of year to engage with your children, particularly in a culture that engages your children on social media and in every facet and capacity possible to undo or to untwine together this story of Christmas, to challenge some of the things that we hold to be true. It's not just your children. Even as adults, we begin to cast doubt and, and look at some of the events that transpire in the context of Scripture and say, could this be possible? I want you to know that it is and it was And every word of the Christmas story is true, every single word. You say, well, that's hard to believe. That's why we're here this morning. As we look at this family Christmas celebration, parents and grandparents and multiple generations have an opportunity to engage the family in the truth, and the truth always starts with the Scripture. We've always got to turn to this Christmas story. You can find it again in, in Matthew. We always have to go back to the Word, for it is the Word that defines the season, not the culture, not the church, not the world, but the Word that defines the season. Now, there's some things that I'd like to encourage you on this morning, eight things in particular. No particular order, but they're all tied together. So, what I want to challenge you as a church family I want to challenge you and your own personal family, but there's some things that you need to do and can do to enhance this season of celebration. We'll start with the hard things. First of all, avoid Christmas controversies. How in the world do we as God's people get so embroiled in controversy in this season of celebration and look past the reality that Christ the Savior was born? You say, how do we do that? Pastor, you think we should have Christmas trees in the church? Stop it. We get caught up in pagan ties. We get caught up in in how we ought to or not how how we ought to worship at a a time like this. In fact, this year in particular, the rage in in evangelical circles is, is this reality that somehow churches who don't meet together in person on Christmas have lost their way. Just stop it. It's so embroiled in these things that we forget the simplicity and the meaning of the celebration. Paul reminds us in Romans, one man observes one day, and he does it in honor of the Lord. 
But another man might observe a different day and do it in honor of the Lord. Whatever you do at Christmas, stop this nonsense and do it as unto and in honor of our Lord. It is the time in which the church is reminded of the birth of Savior. And we can get so caught up in our generational distinctions and so caught up, well, should we sing this Christmas song or maybe not this Christmas song? Do you know who sings that Christmas song? I don't care about any of that. I want to know, is it true? Does it support the Scriptures? Does it turn us to Christ? Does it remind us of the reason for the season? And to get embroiled in these controversies and go back and forth just divides the body, and it's senseless nonsense. You say, Pastor, I really believe that to be true, and I hold your right to believe it. Just keep it to yourself. This is about our Savior. It's about our Savior. Let's just focus on the truth because it's that truth that sets us free, not what song we sing. Not whether the kids are up here, not whether there's trees up here. It is the Christ that we serve and honor at this particular time of year. And as we honor, we honor the Lord, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ Himself. Now, maybe you're of the mindset that you like to dig into these controversies. We did a little bit of that in our ABF class. But it was to point us to Christ and show that these controversies sometimes become so overwhelming, we forget what this is all about. If you haven't heard yet, after those kids sang such a clear gospel presentation, this celebration is about King Jesus. And the rest of this stuff is fluff. It is about the Savior of the world, the hope and light for all mankind. In this Christmas season, try to avoid these Christmas controversies, and that includes the arguments get into at Christmas dinner. Boy, as families, don't we like to argue. Let it go. Let it go. How do we do that, Pastor Jim? How do we let it go? Our family just argues. Ooh, that's the characteristic of your family. I, I don't know. I'm a little nervous for you. Here's a way to keep your focus. Read the Scripture. Read the book, all right? In the midst of all the political, all of the controversy, all of these things that sidetrack us, maybe take a time as a family just to read the book. And start with Luke chapter 2. Go to Matthew and read down through both Old and New Testament passages to speak of the Messiah. Oftentimes, the only time we hear the Scripture read is in church. That's got to change. You as an individual need to be reading the Word on your time, in your home, you as a family, you need to be reading the Scriptures to your children. You as a family need to be reinforcing these deep truths, and you say, well, they're too young to recognize them. Yeah, but if you repeat the songs and the stories of Christmas, if you read the Scripture passages pertaining to the birth of Christ over and over and over, by repetition, your children will begin to believe that's the way it is, so that they're ready when someone says that's not the way it is. You need to read the Scripture. Open the book. Read it to your children. Read the Christmas story in your celebrations and return to the Scripture. I also remind you that Martin Luther, in 1527, that great reformer, said that next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. 
The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that we should proclaim the Word of God through music. If you weren't paying attention, that's exactly what these kids did this morning. They sang the gospel from the the, the coming of Christ in flesh to the ascension into heaven to His glory forever and ever and ever. They sang to us the gospel. They sang to us the praise of Christ the King. They sang to us all for the glory of God. It is reflective of the Scripture. Two songs that are biblically based. Two songs that, that rehearse and reiterate the things that we hold to be true. And as we read the Word, and as we sing the Word, and as we focus on the Word, I pray that in some way, in some sense, the message sinks in to our children. One of the greatest hymns of the 37 that Martin Luther wrote was the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In that hymn, he says, my comfort, my consolation, and my encouragement is in the Word. The Word fights my battles. The Word sustains me in the battle. The Word settles the truth. A mighty fortress is our God. Indeed, avoid the controversies, read the Scripture, and sing those songs that are in keeping the Scripture. But what if this person sings it? Stop it. You know what Jesus says to some of those who are casting out uh, demons and, 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 and proclaiming truth, yet rejected his, his divinity? They didn't accept that Jesus was who He said He was, but they were doing the ministry. He said, hey, it's all for the glory of God. Don't worry about those people. I'm reminded that even if the people are silent, the rocks will cry out. Read the Word and sing the songs and tell the story as a family. Don't, don't just depend on the church to do that. It's, it's your job as parents and as grandparents. The third thing I'd remind you to do, answer questions truthfully and according to Scripture. Now, this is critically important. Sometimes we're the ones who give all of the fodder to the enemy and to the naysayers to undermine the Christian faith. We don't get the story right, or we embellish that story, and when that story is challenged and there's no veracity of the Scriptures to support that, we're in trouble. The star did not lead the three kings to the manger. Jesus was a child, and that star rested over His childhood home and guided the wise men from the east to the place where Jesus resided. That's the story. Get it right. So when your children say in, in a classroom somewhere in the midst of their education, maybe we don't even have these discussions anymore, God forbid. If your child might say, well, there was a star over the manger, the critics are going to say that's not the way this came down. And it begins to undermine the credibility of us as parents. Make sure you get the story right. Oh, by the way, it doesn't say there was three kings. Just wise men. Just what? Not three, just wise men. There were three gifts. Doesn't mean there were three kings. Tell the story truthfully and make sure it's according to the scripture. Because if it's not, or it's an add on, be sure that your adversaries and the adversary will use that to put a seed of doubt in the minds of your children. Don't give them the opening. 
make sure you tell them the truth. Jesus was born on December 25th. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Tell them that. It's just the time that the church has, has decided to celebrate. You know, we can trace that back to the third century. The third century, there was an acknowledgement in local church ministry that this was the time that we would observe the incarnation of Christ. In the fourth century, it was written about. In the fifth century, it made the Roman calendar. In the sixth century, it became pretty standard fare that if you were truly a Christian, it was on December 25th that you celebrated the birth of the Savior. doesn't mean He was born that day, but there is a grand historical tradition to this time of year and why we celebrate the way we celebrate. For generations upon generations and centuries after centuries, we celebrate on this day. Do your, do your homework. Tell your kids why we celebrate on this day and no. It wasn't because we know that he was born on this particular day. It was God's people who decided we need to celebrate and commemorate the coming of our Savior, God in the flesh. And they decided that this was the time of the year to do it. When you, when you answer questions, do it truthfully and according to the Scripture. And parents, can I encourage you at Christmas and at every time, if you don't know, say so. I don't know. I don't know. Focus on the stuff that we do. Keep in mind the absolute truth that is repeated time and time and again in the Scripture. And don't get stuck on these trivialities or controversies. If we don't know, we don't know. But make sure you answer questions truthfully and according to Scripture. And I'll step on a little bit of toes. I'm just warning you, not apologizing. It means the truth about Santa Claus, too. We can trace him as an historical figure, but he doesn't come in the middle of the night and do magic. Kids need to know that. If you're not honest about that, what basis do they have to believe anything that you say about this season of Christmas? Be truthful and be biblical, and there is no Santa Claus in Scripture. It doesn't make him bad. It doesn't make it evil. He just not there. Here's another thing. Tell them that it's more than just a story. I worry about this. And these stories are important and critical. But there's been such a dumbing down of the Christian faith that sometimes we approach these seasons and telling the story of Christmas, and it sounds just like that, just, just a story. It's more than just a story. It is a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to the nation of Israel. Between the closing of the canon in the Old Testament and the beginning chapters of our New Testament called the Gospels or the Good News of Jesus Christ, there were 400 years that God was not speaking. 400 years. That's a long time. How did they maintain the faith in the, in the absence of the Word? How did they maintain the faith as God was not speaking? How did they maintain the faith when, when God seemed so distant? They told the story, but the story was based on the Scriptures, and the story sustained them, and they were waiting for the consolation of Israel, the encouragement of Israel, the fulfillment of the promise, and they waited for 400 years. 
I'm sure there were those who said, it's just a story, it's a fable, it's make-believe. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And he came. He came after 400 years of silence. It is more than just a story. It is the fullness of the gospel. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But we are not solely celebrating a manger scene with a crying baby. This is the unfolding of the redemptive work of God, the incarnation of the Son. God was in flesh, reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. That's not a story. That is a promise. That is where our hope resides. That is the fulfillment of every promise that God made to His people in the Old Testament. It is more than just a story. And you have to fill in the blanks. No different than what the kids sang this morning. It's more than just songs. I'd love for you to go home today and talk to your kids about what they sang and unfold the deep theology and all the things that you heard this morning. Some of them, they just learned a song, and that's okay for that stage of life. Some of them used the words, and they have an inkling of understanding, but they don't really understand. That's our job as families. You need to tell them it is more than just a story and introduce them to the whole counsel of God from Genesis right to the book of Revelation, and you will find it is all about Jesus, all about Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, God said, I will make a way. I will make a way. And the Gospels say, and that way is Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. That's not a myth and a fable or a story. It is the truth, and it is the truth that sets us free. And as we talk about that truth, make sure, make sure that we tell them that the Christian faith is plausible and it's credible. What does that mean? The plausibility of the Christian faith is simply the, the reality that it is a reasonable account of an historic event, more probable true than not true. The Christian faith has a credibility that no other faith has in the context of world history. It is believable, it is convincing, and it must be trusted. It is the story, capital T, the history of the salvation of all mankind. How do we lend that plausibility and credibility to the minds of our children to our families and to the gatherings that come to church to celebrate Christmas. You get back to the book again. You read the Scriptures. You sing the Scriptures. You focus on the truth. And we talk about and prepare our children for the day, and it will come. When that faith is challenged, and someone says, there's no way it could have happened that way. Who in the world could believe that a virgin could conceive and bear a child? Did you know that even Mary had that question as the angel appeared to her? Do you mean to tell me, Mary said, that I'm going to be, to be a mom and I'm with child when I'm a virgin? Anyone remember what the angel said? With God all things are possible. 
Well, let, me, let me connect some dots here. This was the God who created the universe as we know it. All of the natural laws of the universe, everything that we can sense with our senses, everything that is, came from God. And if He did according to His perfect will and brought from nothing everything that we know, why in the world would we doubt He could do this? That's why you have to tell the whole story. You got to start in the creation account. And you have to end with the reality that someday all of us who know Jesus will stand before His throne singing, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Are you looking forward to that? Make sure you don't leave your children behind. The Christian faith is both plausible and credible, and we must first believe it and we must teach it diligently to our children. And whether or not it will be challenged and attacked, and it probably will, it is plausible and credible, and we must continue to tell the story. But we have to stop the infantilization, this infantizing of, of, the, of the Christian church, the dumbing down of the message that makes it about little epitaphs or, or sayings. We must tell the whole story in all of its complicated glory. And you know what? It's complicated because you and I are a part of that story, and our sin is ugly. But it's not bigger than the glory of God, who sent His only begotten Son into this world to pay the penalty for that sin that you and I might know Him. That is the fullness of the story, and it's a credible, plausible story, and we must tell that story and stop this childishness that so often characterizes the Christmas season, even in our churches. I would encourage you equally to create and maintain family Christmas traditions those that have meaning and are critically important to the celebration. All of you have them. There's nothing wrong with that. These may be add-ons, or maybe they might be the fulfillment of what we know to be this season of Thanksgiving, but these are critically important. We live in a culture where extended families have been uh, fractured. There's, there's not a lot of multi-generational interaction anymore, and I believe that's a grave tragedy for our culture today. I believe there's consequences for that. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but in such a mobile culture, people can go anywhere they want, and, and in such a mobile culture and social media culture, we pretend that, that, that some social media connection is, is genuine relationship. It is simply not. We need to have generations together celebrating their traditions and telling the story and reminding of the truth. I just encourage you, just for a second, to put up with some of my reminiscing. Would you do that? So my grandparents on the Murphy side were from immigrant families. My grandfather came from Ireland, and my mother, or grandmother came from Slovakia. Those Slovakian traditions were borrowed from the Poles in Poland, but became entrenched in the culture. And in that Slovakian culture, one of the biggest traditions on Christmas Eve is that all the family, multi-generational, would come together in one place on Christmas Eve. It's a big shindig, a, a big a big celebration. Sometimes the only time of the year that you saw the rest of that family. But I want you to know I looked forward to that every single year. That was a, that was a big deal. That was, that was a tradition that we hung on to. And, and the Slovakian tradition 
entails the family, it was at this particular time that family mattered most beyond that celebration of Christmas. It was a time in which the family would get together and there would be this, 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 this small remembrance and then there'd be this full family meal. I don't understand some of that meal, but we still practice that in my household from time to time. It entailed fish, scrambled eggs, pierogi, potatoes, and other things. You say, well, where in the world did you come up with that? Do your history. It's tied to Ireland. It's tied to the Slovaks. It's tradition. It reminds us of our roots. It reminds us of the importance of family. It reminds us that, that we're in this together. The church body's a family too. And some of our traditions remind us that we are a family and we're in this together. And it doesn't matter our race or color or ethnicity. We're in this together. This is our story. It is the collective story of the celebration of the birth of a Savior. So the family would get together, and it's the tradition, the Slovakian tradition, that that's the night that you opened your gifts, not Christmas morning. You did it on Christmas Eve. And the last thing that you did on Christmas Eve is you went to Mass. You went to, you went to worship. That's, that's what you did. That's what the that's what the day was all about. You're saying, Pastor, are you sanctioning Catholicism? You're not listening to me. I told you to be patient as I tell my stories. But those stories matter, and those traditions have a significant impact in my life, even today. In the midst of my growing up, there came a point in time where my grandparents on the other side became very integral in my life. And I was introduced to the gospel at Primitive Methodist Church in Johnson City. Christmas Eve was my favorite service of the year. We would come together on Christmas Eve, and there would be candlelights, and there would be a communion celebration, and we would sing the Christmas carols because worship matters. And such a, such a time in which we celebrate the birth of our Savior. There was this little wafer that we would use that is loosely tied to Roman Catholicism and tied to my, my grandmother's Slovakian heritage called Oplekta. Perhaps you're familiar with that a little bit. It's kind of like the constitution of a, a Catholic communion wafer. There would be honey on, on, on little dishes all down the center of the table. We're talking about mass chaos with the Murphy family, right? Just, just mass chaos, loud as you can imagine. But in the beginning, and I can remember this as a child, they would take this oplecta, this little wafer. My grandfather would break a corner of that wafer off, and he'd dip it in honey, and he'd eat it, and he'd, he'd give it to my grandmother, and it would go right around the table. That tradition mattered. Here's what it was saying. We're family. We're family. Family matters. It was also a wish you would wish them a, a blessed new year, but, but there was something critically important in the Slovak tradition, and maybe some of you need to learn that even here this morning. It was a symbol of making amends for all the hurts and the harms and maybe the injuries that you did to another family member. It was a means of saying, I forgive you. Let's let this go this new year. Let it be a fresh slate. That's a powerful reminder for a kid like me. And then, of course, the chaos. Dig in, and everybody dug in, and then there were presents, and those things matter. I would encourage you to create those traditions, and, and even if they're 
unrelated to the Christmas story. They're critically important to bond your family together. And your nuclear and extended family matters at this time of year. And this family matters at this time of year. The stories that bring us together, the traditions that bind us together are critically important traditions. But then there's some other things that I in particular have always said and championed to my children and will continue every Christmas morning, the first thing we do is read Luke chapter 2. Isn't that what this is all about? That's what we do. You know, jumping in, there's, and it came to pass in those days. Go back to the scriptures. I'm always the one that reads it out loud. I'm the father. That's my job to guide them. And we read that Christmas story. I encourage them to take some time during the day to ponder the realities, not the festivities, but the realities of the Christmas season. I try and do that. I go off in a different place all by myself and just ponder the glory of the mystery of the gospel revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious story, and it's a glorious story that has changed my life. It is personal, and it's meaningful, and I always include that spiritual aspect of the celebration of the birth of my Savior, Jesus Christ. The celebration from the Scripture and the truth that has set me free. I don't know what yours might be. Probably like the Murphy family, they're just as crazy as some of my stories. But they're my stories. And it binds me to prior generations, and we have forgotten those generational connections in our culture today. And for that, I believe the culture is, is weaker in, in light of that. Celebrate your traditions, but make sure you carve out that time, a tradition for the celebration of the things that matter most. Maybe dads, for the first time, you sit them down in the chaos. You don't know how young my kids are. Sit them down and read them a story. Make it meaningful. Start that tradition. Finally, teach your children how to worship at Christmas. Christmas is a season of promise. It's a season of hope. It's a season of of worship, and we must teach our children how to worship. But let me disconnect something here. Worship doesn't always have to be connected to what we do here on a Sunday morning. Use a family can worship at Christmas in your living room, wherever you might celebrate this. You can go to your multi-generational family, you can worship at Christmas to attribute worth, to shed light on the things that matter most, this Jesus, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, and emphasize the fact that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And in worship, you must tell your children the truth in word for the words that they sang in song today. Every human being is born a sinner. Because of the sin of every living human being, we are separated from God, a holy, perfect, righteous God. And the wage of your sin and my sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. We are separated by God or from God by our own sin. And that separation of God 
in light of our own personal sin, makes it impossible for us to change our spiritual state unless that holy and righteous God does something about it. Well, here's the glory of the story. He did. And in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. God said, I have an answer to your sin, and His name is Jesus, God with us, the Savior of the world. This is a gospel that can't be trifled with. This is a gospel that can't be changed. You must acknowledge your personal sin and the consequence of that sin, and you must believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. The Christmas story matters. We would not have a Savior if it wasn't for the virgin birth. We would not have a Savior if it wasn't for the redemptive plan of God. We would not have a Savior if it didn't happen exactly the way God said it would happen. There would be no hope of a Savior. But there is hope, and there is promise. It begins but doesn't end with the child in the manger, for he would grow and he would die. And as the kids reminded us, for your sins for mine. And if we confess our sin and acknowledge that sinfulness and believe in the glorious gospel of Christmas and that Jesus has come down and paid the penalty for that sin, that He was buried and raised again the third day, that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, if we embrace the truth of Christmas and the fullness of the gospel, not just the story, but the fullness of the gospel, it's bigger than a manger. It's all about our sin. But God has made a way when there seems to be no way. Perhaps that is the reason that the angels sang glory to God in the highest. And on peace, or on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. God has made a way. That is the message of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's what makes this time of year even more special. Because it's not just a gospel for everybody else. It's a gospel that reached into my life and changed me for eternity. It's changed me. I now know the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and God alone. Now the story makes perfect sense. And even those things that are less plausible or less believable, I believe. Why? Because I believe in all of my heart, if He could save me, He can save you, and nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that today? By the way, it's coming again. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess to the glory of God alone. That's what it means to worship, not just with our mouths, not just by the Scripture, not just by singing, but true worship ought to embrace the holistic portion of our life, everything that we say, everything that we do, how we live, and even how we celebrate at Christmas ought to shout and sing the praises of our King. Glory to God in the highest. And our lives must be committed to the worship of the Savior. If you're here for the first time in this Christmas season, we've been reflecting on a passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul reminds a young pastor, Timothy, ministering in the city of Ephesus, and because of his youth, some of his own personal struggles, and because of the culture that he lived in, 
He was a little bit timid, trying to find his way, trying to find some, some grounding for his life and ministry. And Paul reminds him of an ancient hymn or song. Isn't that funny? A song that reflects the teaching of the Scripture. Remember what he says? In great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, meaning Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, begins there in the incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit through miracles and teachings, being ministered to by angels. Through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we proclaim like the centurion, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. He was seen and ministered to by angels throughout His earthly ministry. He is now proclaimed among the nations as we preach the gospel to every creature, and He's believed on in the world. Don't believe these reports that this is just a story that nobody believes anymore. Every single day of every single year, the Spirit of God is drawing people to God through Jesus Christ. Men and women are getting saved all over the globe today for His glory. And when he has collected all of those saints of all of the angels, we'll hear the sound of a trumpet and the whole jig will be up right now. Don't doubt for a second that throughout the world many are believing in his name. You're not alone. You're not out there wandering. You're not the only one that believes this. God is doing an amazing work through his word and bringing people to salvation. And this same Jesus who was crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And today He sits at the right hand of the Father, taken up into glory, waiting to come back. I've described it this way to you, especially in the darkness of His age. I wonder if He's grabbing the arms of the throne, getting ready to stand, the glorious King who is coming again. That's the story we tell. That's your job to tell that story in your homes and to your children and to your children's children. So I just want to remind you of these simple things. Not to take away from your season, but to focus it. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. May it be so indeed. Father, bless us. These moments that we've spent together, the encouragement of the children. The opportunity of the season, don't let us allow it to pass by. Help us to fulfill our responsibilities. Teach us in worship to join the chorus of the angels. Glory to God in the highest. For unto us a child has been given, a Savior of the world, Jesus. Bless us in this season of worship, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.